to Inspiring Healthy Workplaces, a podcast brought to you by Total Wellness. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Healthy Workplaces. Today, I am talking with Michael Souza from LinkedIn. LinkedIn has a robust wellness program focused on what they call the six tenets of wellness. Those are thoughts, breathing, nutrition, movement, rest, and hydration. But if you want to just introduce yourself and if you want to give a one sentence on your background, that would be great. Sure. So I am Michael Susie. I am the director of wellness here at LinkedIn. It's a position I've held for almost 10 years now, having started the program um, at the end of 2010 uh, when LinkedIn was looking to begin a wellness program. So you've been there a long time. I have been. We have about 900 people at LinkedIn. At, uh, in our Do you have 900? Well, we did. When I started, we were about 900 employees in Mountain View, a few other hundred scattered around the world. Now we're around 60, a little over 16,000 employees. Wow. I didn't realize you had 16,000. Wow. Yeah. And so immediately before I joined LinkedIn, I had begun my own wellness company, which I wrote exercise and nutrition programs for people remotely. Um, and I was trying to do with that was sort of capitalize on my experience in online sales and marketing and as a personal trainer and football coach, which is my degrees in history, secondary ed. I coached collegiately at a few schools on the East Coast after I graduated. But my company's was an effort of mine to, uh, again, combine sales and marketing efforts that I had learned along with training and coaching. And through it, um, I learned about LinkedIn, looking to start a wellness program. I threw my hat in the ring, and I actually had a one-year contract initially to begin the program, and then I converted to a full-time employee about midway through 2011. Uh, the program was going really well. People were engaged, and yeah, and it's just really grown since then. Well, that's tremendous. So coming going from a football, I mean, I can see uh, your background in exercise and nutrition really tie in with football coach that probably helps a lot too just in how to motivate people. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's funny. It is motivating. I actually learned a lot about not being a football coach. And by that, I mean working with college athletes, you know, primarily men, 18 to 23 years old. It's obviously a very specific niche. And when you come and work with the general population, across ages, across genders, across, you know, most people are not looking to get bigger, faster, stronger. So I had to sort of actually break some, you know, call it football mentalities to really, I think, grow the program more effectively and take into account that, you know, a good wellness program is going to be inclusive of all, not just the gym rats or the people who like to run marathons. Yeah, true. I believe that's no matter what you're doing, yeah, in the wellness program, you got to think like, are we only going to hit the 20, 25% that are really on the ball on taking care of their health? And we're missing 75% of what, uh, 75% of the employees that really don't think they can do anything or they're just not ready to do anything about it. Absolutely. Well, tell me specifically um, about what uh, the current state of LinkedIn with 16,000 employees and what you guys are doing and maybe how that's changed over the last 10 years since you, you've been there sure. um, in, in your direction and your focus uh, overall without going into huge detail year by year, but right. kind of the, where, you, where you started the first five years versus the last you know, five or six. Sure. 
Well, I would say even like, you know, the first year for me was make or break because again, I had a contract and was like, what are we going to get done here? Um, a lot of it was learning. I've never worked at a company this large or within HR, which is where benefit sits. And so a lot of learnings on my part of how do you develop um, a benefits program that's going to meet the needs of the business, that's going to address, you know, what employees are looking for. And so initially, it was, a lot of it was around uh, building gyms uh, and wellness spaces in our offices because LinkedIn was in a hyper growth mode. We were building new offices. We were revamping existing offices. And part of our philosophy was around bringing a lot of these services on site for people. So we initially never gave gym stipends, but rather in offices of a certain headcount, we would build those facilities on site. And if we couldn't build a full gym, we would bring in instructors and have classes and then the other part of that was thinking about mm. how do we reach people that are remote, whether they be work from home or whether it be in an office that is just, again, going back to initially, you know, we were in shared office spaces. Um, and so it was like we couldn't just do what we wanted to necessarily. And so I had a big focus on creating a lot of online content for people so that no matter where they may be, no matter how big their office may be, there's an opportunity for them to engage in wellness in some way, shape, or form. And that... Did you uh, did you develop that in house, Michael? Like all the content, or did you use an? We uh, did not like use a platform. platform. It was a combination of us curating and creating some of that content. Um, and from the get go, we uh, have this monthly initiative called Monthly Wellness Focus. And so each month, there's a piece of content that gets published, and then we have a quiz associated with it. So one thing we want to be able to do is track how many people are participating in it. And we also have a rewards program, so people can earn points by participating. So the quiz was a way for us to reward people and also a way for us to get some measurements on, you know, how are people engaging in the content. And then in addition to that, you know, we partnered with an app called Move Coach, and the Move Coach app allows people to sync wearables and devices uh, to reach weekly milestones around movement and or mindfulness and then we can reward them for that achievement. And so that was sort of the global approach in terms of uh, online initiatives. But from the very beginning, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, so Move Coach, do you guys, I mean, you're probably going to tell me this in a second, but that was kind of the initial. Are you still using that Move Coach? Uh, we are. We are still using it. Yep. And it's, modified, it's been morphed over time into something that's much more applicable for our people, where initially it was a lot of, uh, run, running program. So if someone wanted to run a 5K and they had a particular goal, the Move Coach platform would write a, a very specific program for them based upon their history, their goal, et cetera. But now we really use it much more as a way to capture people, give people an opportunity to share with us you know, their movement and their mindfulness okay. to get rewarded for it. Uh, and again, a way for us to measure participation. Oh, that's nice. Okay. Well, from the very beginning, what we've always focused on is what we call our six tenets of wellness. And this sort of goes back into that idea of, you know, if you build a gym, it'll get filled because there are certain people that already have those particular habits and you've made it more convenient for them, which is one of our goals as well. But the six tenets, we look upon two different ways. Uh, one of them is it's um, a, a, a list for people to go through on a daily basis to say, am I doing things for myself along these lines? It also, we've always viewed it as an entryway into the wellness program. So I'll share with you those tenets. They are thoughts, breathing, hydration, nutrition, movement, and rest. And so, you know, if you take 
again, the gym rat type of a person and you build a gym, they're going to go to it. And right away when we did start building gyms and on-site wellness facilities for classes and whatnot, our participation was always really good from the get-go. But I also know that, you know, from an overall percentage of the population, classes and gym goers weren't reaching even, say, 20% of the overall population. So in an attempt to be able to reach more people, going in line with that online content, you know, we started saying, here's some learnings around breathing, which no matter who you are or where you are, what your role is, you know, your ability to be consciously breathing, to use your breath as a way to identify when you're stressed or in an uncomfortable situation is really powerful. And so we would have content that would run the gamut of those six tenets. um, And we feel really did a lot to create six different entryways into the wellness program for people. That's great. Actually, we have similar, we have, we kind of combine them into three. Well, the six tenets themselves. So a lot of my certifications um, came from a place called the Czech Institute, a um, gentleman named Paul Check started that institute. And um, I, so it was the one certification I got that was the most applicable to my role. I have nutritional certifications and other personal training certifications, and they're good and all that. But Check Institute, with their certs, gets into this holistic aspect of the person. And so I really learned about the six tenets through my education with the Check Institute. I was using it, and I didn't call them the six tenets, but the company I had started before I joined LinkedIn, I would use those six tenets as a way to prioritize somebody's program. So for example, you know, a lot of people have the rather ubiquitous goal of say weight loss. And then you look at their exercise and they move and they're exercising, they're doing the right things, but you may find that, you know, what's really influencing them the most is their sleep is really poor and they're just stressed, right? They have like zero mindfulness practice and they, and that ends up being the thing that would take up or should be the priority of their program because teaching them new exercises is not going to do the trick if they're already being active in that regard. And so it was a way for me to prioritize uh, writing a program for people. And it's just been extremely applicable here. You know, we make the analogy to if you're growing a plant, you give it sunlight, soil, and water. Now every plant's different in terms of how much of each of those things or types of those things. But we look at those six tenets as analogous to sunlight, soil, and water, but for human development. And when we take care of it in that regard, we too, you know, effortlessly develop and grow. Yeah, great. So what do you think, um, I mean, some of what you're talking about is the current focus is on mental well-being and also sleep. By far, um, what the focus a lot of companies are looking at, you know, stress related to not having the right amount of sleep, um, mental, having mental health as the focus. How has your, your six tenets that actually helped you in any way make, uh, make inroads with, in those areas, mental health and sleep and stress? For sure. So it's challenging. So we, don't, we measure participation, but we don't, except for a few isolated uh, moments where we maybe do a pilot program, we don't really study outcomes. And that's just more our company's appetite for taking in people's personal data and studying it. So um, we have a lot of anecdotal feedback of people that have engaged in the program and shared their personal stories. You know, we measure participation. And one of our beliefs is that if people are consistently engaging in these healthy habits and learnings, that it's going to have an impact uh, on their life. 
But our six tenants we use, uh, actually going back to 2017, we started taking one of those tenants and making it the focal point of the year, creating a campaign that we would brand internally, create different content, have speakers, and just have a whole theme around that. So actually, 2017 was we focused on our rest tenant, and it was a program called, uh, or the campaign called The Quest for Rest. And from that, bore out what we're hoping to actually launch in the next couple of weeks is a sleep improvement program for employees to engage in, uh, which would actually take people through you know, their own behaviors that are having a positive or negative influence on their sleep and teaching them how to really judge for themselves you know, good rest and what their behaviors are that are supporting that. But then going through that, the next year we did um, Keep in Mind, which was focusing on our thoughts tenant and had a lot of mental health initiatives there. Uh, that's an ongoing thing as well, beyond just wellness, because obviously mental health gets into medical care. Um, you know, I'm always very cautious with wellness and mental health because I, I do believe it's true that if someone is maybe having a depressive episode, that yes, exercise can be very beneficial to somebody. But I also never want to come across like saying to someone who is suffering from depression, oh, just go exercise and you're going to be okay. So we really partner well, very much with our health insurance providers, um, near-site health clinics, uh, other third parties. We actually just engaged with a company called Lyra Health here in the U.S. to provide um, access online and or pers- in-person access to therapists. Um, and then we'd have a lot of conversations. You know, it's really like... Oh, really? So they have... Uh... They have counselors, like uh, psychologists, psychiatrists. What do they have, Lyra? They do. They do. Um, And what it really, the main thing they address is just the inaccessibility of finding a provider. So they have, um, you know, documented proof that the folks that are in their network are, you know, drive results for their patients. They, through you completing your own profile, can do a bit of matching to get to where you want to go and who you want to be and how you want to in- interact with that individual. Hmm. You can do things online, if you know, like video conference, which is nice for a couple of reasons. One, it helps with scheduling. It also just gives you access to a wider network of professionals. I mean, if you're looking for someone within a 10-mile radius of where you live, depending upon what part of the country you're in, that could be you know, impossible. Yeah. Um, but obviously if you can expand that network and start to pull in people from other parts of the country. Now we just launched the program in January. It was met with a lot of, uh, very warmly by our employees that we had it and we'll be getting some data in the next couple of weeks actually on, uh, participation. And all we look for there is how many people, so we don't dive into any privacy issues, but just how many people right. have signed up for services. Well, that sounds great. So that's U.S. population only, not any international and internationally, we have another partner, in, uh, EAP, called Compsych, and that's who we use internationally. Okay. And I'm not as familiar with Compsych as it pertains. I know Lira has a unique business model that is very is also very U.S. focused because of obviously the uniqueness of the U.S. healthcare system. Right. Well, that's very interesting. I'd love to hear about that. Uh, back to the sleep. I I I've seen a no- number of platforms. I interviewed a guy that. Uh, they have a technology platform that they're beta tested with a new balance called Days, and they help through, you know, your Apple Watch and other devices, Fitbits, be able to kind of more diagnose uh, your sleep patterns and kind of give you recommendations on how you can improve your sleep. Is that similar to what you guys are doing with the, with your sleep program that you launched, or? It- um, 
it's similar. It doesn't make recommendations as much as it's part education. So people go through um, online learning of sleep science um, and just how all those different things work. And then they go through um, a couple, uh, four, I think it's four weeks of journaling. And what we really want to teach people is how to be aware to how their behaviors and actions are supporting or sabotaging their sleep. Right. And so in short, what you would do is if you were in get involved in the program, you would journal things that you did throughout the day along the lines of, you know, did you move? You know, what did you eat? When did you eat? What was your water intake like? All those different aspects. Uh, then in the morning, you know, you're asked to, before you first get up or out of bed, is just take a quick inventory of yourself. Like, how do you feel? How would you rate the restfulness of your sleep? Mm. And then through that action over time, you know, people can begin to draw correlations. And they can say, hey, you know, the days that, what it could be, I didn't go to happy hour, or that I went to the gym, or that I did get a certain amount of steps in, or it was just more active, or I did X, Y, or Z, I slept really well, versus I didn't do X, Y, and Z, and I didn't sleep as well. So that's the basis of it in that capacity. Oh, that's interesting. Well, for me, it's pretty much when my kid wakes me up in the middle of the night, my little uh, one, one or two-year-old, that's the difference between <laughs> sleeping and not sleeping. So, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's so many variables, right, that affect people, whether it be children, noisy neighborhoods. Uh, a lot of times it's just actually putting effort and mind towards those things can usually help us find some solutions. But sleep is the one thing, I, you know, if I have a wish for everybody, it would be that they got good quality sleep because to me that just sets us up for success when we do have good sleep and we're at a disadvantage, you know, when we wake up and we're not well rested. Uh, how do you feel, is there any, any, any impact on what you're doing going forward on your wellness program as far as the concerns about uh, the virus spreading and you know, corona? We, so in short, we adapt to whatever the needs of the business are. So, for example, we did have uh, three of our offices uh, be under a work-from-home. Uh, so no one was going into the office. So it obviously canceled on-site classes in those places. Um, what we attempted to do was sort of step in and fill that void for people. So now people are sort of stuck at home. And that could be either you're stuck at home and it's just you, or you're at home and you're trying to get work done and you have a family and you know they're not necessarily quiet and they're distracting you from work. And so we did a lot of, along with our benefits, uh, the overall benefits team of communicating out resources to people so that while they're at home, they had an opportunity to engage in stretching sessions, uh, guided meditations. We even had exercise classes that people could tune in through on our video conferencing um, and kind of gave people access to that. We haven't really changed much in, in ways of the program unless it's been passed down that our offices aren't going to be open in those, uh, in those in particular cities. One thing we've done, which kind of goes along line with uh, our whole fight the flu campaign, which comes up annually here in the U.S., and something I've always wanted to, you know, there's obviously some controversy, founded or unfounded, around flu shots, their effectiveness or this, and people have, some people are on, you know, one side of the fence of being like, they always get it, some people will never get it. But I found a lot of people kind of like, I don't know what to do. You know, I hear this, I hear that. And so what we try to really bring in is a full force, you know, breadth of how you care for yourself. So yes, the flu shot is an option and is provided to people. Um, but also that's not the end all be all of even caring for yourself when it comes to say flu season. So it's, you know, it's washing your hands more frequently. It's paying attention to when you aren't feeling well, staying at home and kind of keep teaching people, um, 
that method of being well. And so that fight the flu campaign does serve well with the current, you know, virus that's going around um, in terms of sometimes allaying people's fears. And then culturally as a company, you know, we're pretty open where someone does have a lot of concern about being in, gathering in spots that they can, they can work from home if they feel that it's necessary. Yeah, that's a good answer. I, I think it's an opportunity to, um, with this to get people to be more knowledgeable on why the flu shot could be beneficial. And, and I, I, I like your kind of perspective of educating them how to be healthy overall and sleep and taking care of themselves and, and doing all the appropriate things can help also mitigate them getting any kind of respiratory or any kind of illness whatsoever. So I think that's important. But yeah, there's a lot. I, I think this may end up to be very similar to flu and who it affects and who dies from it, but they don't know yet and how, how long it's going to last. But it does, you know, talk about people staying home when they're sick or, it, um, you know, proper hand washing because probably the majority of people don't wash their hands. If they do, they don't wash it long enough to really be effective. And so just educating people on that. And yeah, the flu, flu vaccine is not 100% effective, but no vaccine is 100% effective, but it's, it's a lot better than nothing. So, yeah. I've, and I've been doing this a long time, so I, I'm hopeful that this will be positive and that we'll see more people interested in getting a flu shot next year so, or this fall. So I'm curious to see if that will happen. Yeah. I mean, you know, we take a lot of this stuff, we take guidance from, we have emergency response teams to get together and we really do take guidance from the, the local governments where our offices are and what they're dictating. I know, for example, in our Singapore office, while they're not testing people, when people do come into the office, and this is, we're in a large building, that's not just our office, that uh, everyone has to get their temperature cha- uh, taken. And there's, I guess, precautions in that nature. If your temperature is hot, they don't let you in. So there's a level of, you know, keeping, doing their best to keep people away who maybe don't self-quarantine um, them from others. Is there a threshold for temperature? Like if they're 99.5, is that considered uh, they should send them away? Or is it, uh, what is the number that they're using? You know, that's a good question. I haven't had, I haven't heard that any of our employees have been sent away because of having a temperature. But I actually don't know what their threshold for acceptable temperature is yeah i can imagine if somebody's in a rush and has run a half a mile to get to work and they could uh, have a temporary <laughs> elevated temperature right yeah totally uh well is there anything else that uh that uh, you have big plans uh this year or even into next year that are kind of cool sure well most immediately we're focusing on our breathing tenant this year and so our, our campaign is called take a breath and one thing that we've been doing a lot over the past couple of years and we're continuing to do is partnering with our media productions team. And we have the opportunity to create a lot of, uh, a lot of really well-produced uh, content for people to engage in what we, and then through uh, LinkedIn learning, which is a LinkedIn product, but every company has LinkedIn learning. They can add, upload their own content and it's accessible only to people at their company. So one thing we've been doing is partnering with our learning and development team to get our content loaded up onto LinkedIn Learning. And the big win there for us is it's very easy for employees to engage with the content. So whether they're you know, taking a train or a bus home, uh, they can go to the LinkedIn Learning app and just access it. Whereas in the past, all the content was behind 
VPN access and multi-factor authentication and you know, wasn't on the best platform for viewing and maybe wasn't produced by our media productions team. And so it just wasn't as engaging of content. The content itself was solid, but you know, when you're appealing to people's tastes of what they want to be entertained by or engage in, you know, you're competing with every other podcast out there or TV show or Netflix uh, movie. So I would say we're probably, I'm most proud of that most recently because of what we've been able to do and to actually drive people to be watching that content and engaging in it. We want to do more. Makes sense to use your own platform, you know, to do that. And it's, it's you know, absolutely. And it's, one, it's a great platform to use. Um, and we actually, just being good, you know, stewards of our culture and our own products, you know, we're able to really give good feedback into the learning team as well, which they can better the products um, we're almost little beta testers at times so that we can improve the, the learning product to actually then help our clients as well. So kind of a kind of more industry-wide question to kind of maybe close up since we're about a half an hour into it. Uh, what, what do you see the future of wellness in the workplace from your perspective and your experience, you know, from a glo- uh, more industry point of view? Um, is it going to grow? How is it going to change? Yeah, I always have to guard against, you know, we, I, I have the opportunity to exist and, and live in a bit of a bubble. Um, and obviously what happens in the Bay Area and, and, and tech sometimes is a little bit ahead of what other parts of the world or, or the country are working on. And so I think it's only going to grow because I think that as more and more organizations engage and as metrics proving that it has a positive outcome, and I also want to point out, I didn't say a positive health outcome necessarily, because a lot of times what we look at it as, it's, a, it's an engagement tool. And when uh, uh, you know, uh, an engaged employee is a more productive employee, they're a happier employee, um, that serves well, the company's culture well, that serves retention well. So you know, we specifically aren't going after any one particular health problem to bring down, but rather how do we help people just be at their best? So... I think but that's not true for every organization. Some have legitimate health concerns they have to address. They also have, you know, um, return on investment uh, metrics they want to be able to measure and know that they're going to be getting something back from that money. So I think that's only going to grow more and more. I also think that what's going to grow into is a higher level of personalization. Um, there are, you know, you can peanut butter spread certain things that are true for the population. You know, yes, we should move more than we don't move. We should eat real food as opposed to heavily processed foods and all that sort of thing. But ultimately, what really works for people is helping them learn and giving them the resources to do so about what is their individuality and how does that play out and how can we support them in that regard. So I see it growing overall, and then I also see within that growth there being um, more personalization of wellness opportunities. Well, it's great, great insight. I really appreciate that. I, I think uh, your ten years, uh, let's see, 2010, 10 years plus of experience in the corporate sector has served you well, and I think you have a very insightful perspective on things, and I appreciate that. I've been in it a little bit longer than you have from a corporate point of view, but. I'm a true believer in, you know, wellness is very personal and if it relates to people in their own personal way, they're probably going to, you know, be much better and healthier and have a much better quality of life. So absolutely, I believe believe that. Well, it was great talking to you and I I hope I get to talk to you sooner than later and um, please keep in touch and if there's anything across your mind, let me know and 
hopefully we'll get over this uh, corona. Yeah, yes, no, we'll be better when it's all said and done and we'll learn from it. And uh, Alan, thank you for the opportunity to chat. It's been great. And uh, I look forward to furthering the relationship. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining me today as my guest. 